Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker. You can call me DW. We are back with the 2020 NFL season. The Atlanta Falcons have got camp underway in the midst of this crazy, crazy time with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, This is obviously going to be a very different season than what we have ever experienced in the past. And I wanted to kick it off uh, this year with two guys that uh, I interact with quite frequently on the Twitters. Uh, we have been on each other's podcasts uh, back and forth in the past, uh, but this is actually the first time I've had them both together here um, with us on the Falcoholic Podcast. And first, uh, he is no stranger to uh, those of you on Twitter. Uh, you know him as Falc fans. Uh, I'm talking about the one and only Aaron Freeman. Aaron, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, DW. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and his partner in crime on the Falcons PFC, is, did I get that right? Former, formerly, I guess you should say. Formerly. Uh, we, we decided to uh, go separate ways, but uh, no, it's, it's good to be back with, with Aaron, and thanks for having me on, DW. It's, you know, like you said, it's a crazy year, um, a very abnormal year, and you know, it feels somewhat normal now being back on here with you guys talking Falcons football and hopefully the season to come. Awesome. Good deal. Uh, and, and of course, I think I forgot to, to <laughs> say your name. It's uh, uh, Matt Carroll. Is it? Did I get the last name right? You got it spot on. You nailed perfect. it. Yeah. Perfect. All right. I just want to dive straight into it because, uh, as seems to be the case with the Falcons these days, right as we're getting ready to record a podcast, they drop something on us that we get to talk about, which I appreciate. Uh, and I'll be honest with you guys, the past like two or three podcasts that we've done on the Falcoholic podcast have been uh, more focused on the pandemic and stuff. And we're not going to talk about it much. I'm actually really eager to talk about real football topics. Um, so this is going to be a COVID light podcast. <laughs> we've covered that extensively on the site in the past. So I want to talk about the football stuff and the big news that hit right before we got on to record was the Falcons cutting um, guard Jamon Brown. Uh, and this is a little bit of a surprising move because from a cap standpoint, I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think there actually may be a little bit of a cap hit for cutting him, or it may be, uh, it may be sort of just dead even. Uh, so there's not really a, a financial reason to have cut him. Um, so Aaron, I want to go to you first on your take on this. What are your thoughts on Brown being the first guy out the door in this competition at left guard? Well, you know, when it comes to the pandemic, oh, I'm sorry, we were not supposed to talk about that. Um, <laughs> with Jamon Brown being cut, I think, you know, it's been the writing has been on the wall for the last couple of weeks just because he has been absent going into training camp. 
for me, you know, my expectations was that between him and James Carpenter, because one of those guys was not going to make the team. There was just no way that the Falcons were going to pay those guys as much money as they did last year to do as little as they did last year uh, this upcoming season. So one of those guys was going to get cut. Brown's contract basically made it prohibitive to cut him. As I understand, Matt may have other details. They're not saving any cap space this year um, by cutting him. So they're paying him the exact same amount, $6.6 million uh, to keep him or cut him. Um, and Carpenter, at least there's a little wiggle room. You, you get maybe like a million, million and a half, something like that, uh, if you were to, to cut him. Um, so going into the summer, all that to say is my expectation was that Brown would be the safer of the two because it's just easier to get rid of James Carpenter than it would have been. But because Brown missed time due to a non-COVID-related illness and then basically missed all of last week with a concussion, and you basically have like two weeks between now and final cuts – it seemed like the Falcons were looking at it where it's like, well, Jamon Brown, I guess, coming back from uh, that concussion on Monday as we're recording this and basically lasted eight hours on the team before they cut him. They decided, hey, you know, he's not going to make up the ground on Carpenter between now and the end of final cut. So let's cut him now. And that gives him an opportunity to catch on with another team. Um, as we've seen lots of players around the league, you know, getting workouts and, and tryouts and whatnot and signing with teams uh, over the last couple of days and, and probably in, in the next few weeks. So I, I think it's the Falcons doing right by Jamon Brown, but unfortunately for him, you know, fate, I guess, uh, came about to, you know, prevent him from making the team. And, you know, depending on how, what you think about James Carpenter, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, as him, uh, him a player, but, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say about Jamon Brown before seeding the floor to, to Matt, you know, his play on the field wasn't great last year. I think it was better than Carpenter's. But, you know, for the most part, I think he's a pretty good dude. So I root for the guy. He was on Lockdown yeah. Falcons last summer. He's done a lot of great stuff off the field, yep. um, you know, dating back throughout his career. So, you know, he's a guy that, I rooted for, even though I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of him in terms of his football ability, but certainly a, a good human being that I was hoping that, you know, would get at least one shot at redemption on the field this season. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Yeah. Matt, your thoughts. I mean, this is one of the few times uh, that Aaron and I are in lockstep. So, DW, I'm sorry if you were looking for some contentious banter from us to start <laughs> this podcast off, but you're not going to get it here. I, I totally agree with everything that Aaron said there about Jamon Brown. I mean, very perplexing move uh, from a cap standpoint, just like you guys both noted. Uh, there's no cap savings to come from this. Uh, Jamon's base salary was fully guaranteed uh, on March 20th. And so he's going to count for the same $6.5 million cap hit that he would have uh, still being on the team, being off the team. So again, they're not going to get relief in 2020. There is a possibility they get some relief in 2021 uh, due to what's called offset language that uh, Vaughn McClure had reported in his report that is possibly in Jamon's contract, meaning if he were to sign with a team for $2 million, then uh, the Falcons would be able to get that $2 million in savings um, in 2021. So that's hmm. the one caveat of this is to continue to monitor, you know, Jamon's future and where he ends up. Because if he does sign with someone and, and signs for someone for, you know, a couple mil, Falcons will get uh, cap credit in 2021, which, you know, 
given you know what the pandemic is possibly going to do to the salary cap in 2021 it could be as low as 175 million in cap um you know every little bit goes a long way so that's the one reason i guess that this move um makes some sense but you know all in all i i just don't get it you know again they're not going to get any savings this year um i i fully agree that Jamon Brown is better than James Carpenter, and I think he's gotten a raw deal from the start. Um, would have liked to seen him get in the left guard battle, but, you know, as Aaron also pointed out, the writing was on the wall uh, when he was out with an illness the first week and then out with a concussion last week, you know, in a shortened offseason like we have. Um, even being out a couple days uh, goes a long way as far as you're standing on the roster. So right. it was going to be tough for him to even win the left guard battle, but – you know, I liked him for depth. Um, I liked the variety of options that they would have had at left guard if if whoever they choose to be the starter in week one didn't work out. They'd have multiple options. Now they have one less option. Um, so, again, I, w- whatever you think about Jamon Brown, I think the offensive line, the depth, and the skill here does take a hit from Jamon Brown being out and uh, not being on the team anymore. So, again, it just doesn't make much sense to me. And, you know, I, I'm thinking in the back of my head, what is – what does a guy like Arthur Blank think about a move like this now when, you know, you hear the reports in the off season that, you know, one of the Falcons plans at left guard was to pursue Roger Saffold, but they kind of pivoted away from that decision because they wanted to go after two guys. And now one of the guys they've already cut after a year of being on the team <laughs> with zero cap savings to show for it. So, you know, does it, does that inspire much confidence from from the decision makers that Arthur Blank is now entrusted for another year? I, I hardly think so, but you know, I guess he probably just chalks it up to a sunk cost. What's done is done, and he just is going to move on. And, and hopefully, you know, the offensive line does show improvement with you know whether it's James Carpenter or you know Matt Hennessy. Looks like he might have the inside track now on that left guard uh, spot, which. That's something hopefully we get into a little bit more later on the show because yep, I have absolutely. thoughts there. But, um, yeah, for me, I, I just don't like this move. Don't think it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, again, the the one caveat is hopefully they get some additional cap savings in 2021 by Jamon signing a somewhat lucrative deal with, a, with another team. Yeah, you know, for me, what it, like even if you uh, went off the basis that Carpenter and Brown were, let's just say, equivalent in their performance last right. year. Um, uh, Carpenter is four years older. He's 31. Uh, Jamon Brown is 27. Uh, so Carpenter is already on the wrong side of 30. Right. Uh, no cap savings for Brown. A little bit of a cap savings if you cut Carpenter. Uh, and again, I go back to the age thing. At least Brown, you know, potentially is in the prime of his career and, and could offer a little bit more than, you know, maybe Carpenter can. And uh, I just, I don't get to, I'm with both of you guys. So I, I think we're in lockstep, all three of us on uh, this particular move, which is uh, probably a sign of the end times. And that's fine. Um, we know that's coming anyways, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it feels like, it almost feels like a hasty move. It, it the timing just seems really early to, to pull this, especially when the guy has just, he just got off um the the concussion protocol and it was back and now it's like oh nope we're done like Um, do we do we think that he was off like there was trade discussions do we think it there was enough time in between i don't think i don't think i mean because can you can you even like talk about a trade with someone when they're either sick or in the concussion protocol like is that i'm a 
I'm assuming that they probably had some talks with people over the weekend and they found the nibbles lacking. And, probably. you know, I don't think there was really ever much of a trade market for Jamon Brown that was likely to develop just because of the salary that he was going to have, the limited yeah. reps that he would have with any team that the Falcons would trade for him. Like, basically, I think probably the best trade that the Falcons could have pulled off is trading Jamon Brown for, like, a return specialist or something like that. You know, somebody yeah. that and so, you know, that, that should have people thinking, too, that the 2021 cap credit that I was talking about, you shouldn't expect a lot because, it, you know, Jamon's probably not going to sign for much more than the veteran minimum, I would think now. If, you It'd know, be surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he got any more than 2 million. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Latest news uh, coming out of Falcons camp Jamon Brown cut. Uh, obviously, we'll see how this plays out for the offensive line battle uh, over the next few weeks. But uh, certainly, you know, one name off the list, and it, it's going to shorten those guys who are showing up at left guard. Um, Next name I want to talk about, and, and even though this guy's not a Falcon anymore, his name came up last week. Um, we had a short write-up about him on the Falcoholic, uh, which I think got some people fired up, um, which, let's be fair, this particular player was incredibly polarizing uh, in his time in Atlanta, for better or for worse, and I think some of it was warranted and some of it probably was overblown. I'm talking, of course, about Vic Beasley, um, who – the Falcons did give the fifth-year option to, which I think many fans disagreed with, thought that was a poor move, uh, who went to the Tennessee Titans and ultimately did not show up at first. There was some concern about his mental health. Uh, and when he did show, he failed his physical. And uh, at least, to my knowledge, nothing has changed to that point. Am I, have I missed anything, guys? He's not back active at this point, is he? I did. I believe he's still on the non-football injury list which right. i did see an instagram video of him though showing up to the facilities jack jack crawford took an instagram video huh. uh, that popped up on grady jared's timeline um so maybe so i feel like he's been checking in the building he's he's not mia yeah, he's he, he's he's there he's, yeah. he's arrived but like, yeah I but i think aaron's right he's, he's still on he's been like you know doing bike worker or something that's awesome <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's on the bike or something yeah so I, I think the initial concern from falcons fans was uh if this guy doesn't show up if he just hangs up the cleats obviously he was going to end up being one of the big factors in the calculation of compensatory picks for the falcons next year uh, as one of their big you know free agent uh departures that got a big enough contract to qualify them for probably something between the fifth and fourth round in the, in the comp formula uh, and a lot of people were upset that, you know, he, he may have screwed that over. Obviously, he could still get healthy enough and be activated, and that could still come to fruition. Uh, but you know, I don't want to spend too much time on Vic because I think we have beaten up his name <laughs> over the past four or five years in Atlanta enough. Um, but, Matt, I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on Beasley, the risk to the comp pick, just the whole situation with him and sort of the fan still, like, fan hatred for this player uh, that, you know, is not even on the team anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the compensatory stuff is legitimate. If, if he doesn't show up that, you know, he'll haunt us one last time and, and, we'll, and it'll cost us likely a fifth-round fifth, fifth round comp pick. But, you know, I, I just – I hope the guy gets right. Yeah, he's, he's obviously dealing with something internally, whether it's just the, the struggle of what he wants to do with the rest of his life, whether it be football or the latest report that came out, he wants to be a pastor of a church – 
you know, I just, I just want him to find peace at life. You know, it's well documented that he, he dealt with the loss of his father uh, after his first season in Atlanta. So, you know, I think he's just looking for a guiding light to, to point him in the right direction. And I've always liked the guy as, as a person. Uh, he's always been great for the community. Um, it's unfortunate that the football side of things didn't work out. And I wish people would, would let that go a little bit on Twitter. It's, it is um, exhausting at times seeing some of these uh, um, tweets at him when, again, like you said, he's I, not I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, DW, I, I do give you credit. You, you had a couple good uh, zingers on Twitter about it. <laughs> if, that I had to give you props. At least be funny with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Be creative with it if you're going to do it, people. Like don't, DW don't be did. spiteful. Just be funny. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I, I hope things will work out. You know, I'd like to see what he would do also in, in a different system, in a different scheme with Mike Rabel. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Rabel could potentially uh, get something out of him. Um, you know, you know I, I, as they always say, the different change of scenery uh, sometimes can do a player wonders. Uh, so I, just for that aspect, I'd like to see what he would do in Tennessee. But again, I, I just want what's best for him. I just hopefully he finds uh, that peace of mind that whatever he wants to do with it, uh, in life, you know, he, he goes 110% at it and uh, can have some success there. So that's kind of my thoughts on, on the whole Vic Beasley situation. Uh, Aaron? Well, you know, normally I would grandstand and be like, well, you know, back in 2016, I said, you know, Vic <laughs> wasn't very good. But you know, I won't bring that up on today's podcast, but um, what I will say is, you know, I think when it comes to the vitriol and spite that gets sent Vic Beasley's way, and DW said he he got brought up last week, he gets brought up every week. He will be brought yeah. up forever in Falcon circles, in large part, I think, because of the expectations put on him because of this team's lack of investment in the pass rush for, you know, the better part of the last 20 years. Um, and he's one of the few exceptions to that. And unfortunately, there are other players that are exceptions to that. You know, I'm looking at you, Jamal Anderson. Uh, you know, some of those guys <laughs> that haven't also worked out. So it even made it even put double pressure on Vic Beasley to sort of be the John Abraham uh, that everybody wanted him to be, that Von Miller type of guy. And he, you know, I don't think was ever really capable of living up to those expectations. I, I think that was quickly revealed early in his career. But he had the sort of sack production he had in 2016, which I think led people to believe that, you know, that was something that would continue in subsequent years. It didn't, obviously. Um, and, you know, people turned very much on him. Um, and, you know, some of the issues that he's had that Matt talked about with some of the questions with his commitment and work ethic and whether or not he loves the game of football only, you know, magnified those beefs that people had with him. It's like, Oh, well he could have been, you know, it's, it's the mindset of he could have been great if he, you know, just worked hard or whatever the case may be, but it is what it is. Um, so I think with Beasley in Tennessee, you know, I don't know. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. It's just like, you know, I'm just <laughs> fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over the Vic Beasley thing. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's a bust or whatever you want to call him. He's whatever you want to call him here in Atlanta. It's over now moving on you know like the you know we can I I think too like if if the Falcons didn't you know accept his fifth year option and pay him 12 million sure we're probably still people are still probably criticizing him but are are they going to criticize him you know anymore like I think that had a lot to do with it too and people are directing their anger in the wrong place right like if I think about this situation I blame Dimitrov for that and, and Dan Quinn for that more than I do Beasley like if someone comes up to me and says hey 
we want to give you 13 million for substandard performance. I am <laughs> signing up. Exactly. I am signing those papers so fast. Don't blame me. Take your money and run kid. Um, so I blame the people who wrote the, the checkout. Yeah. They, they kind of doubled down on Vic Beasley twice. Right. And you know, coming off of his 2017 season, they were like, you know, he had a down year because he, he wasn't getting as many opportunities to rush the quarterback, which wasn't technically true. Um, and so it's like, we're going to stick him purely as a defensive end and he's going to be back to the old 2016 all pro Vic Beasley. He was anything but that. And then they were like, well, let's give him, you know, that fifth year option. He, he now Dan Quinn's going to, you know, lay his hands on him, work the magic or whatever. And he did, he did improve in 2019. He was better, you know, it wasn't good, but he was better. Right. So, you know, Dan Quinn did what he could. And so I think that you're right. DW, the fact that the team doubled down on him twice, even magnifies fans hatred towards him. When I think really reality, the situation should be directed at the, the organization for basically doubling down on a player that, Maybe I, you know, I get the 2018 thing, but you know, by the time 2019 rolls around, it's like, like we we know, like he's he's not going to be good again, right? Like we kind of all <laughs> know that, right? Like we're not sitting here pretending that he's going to be good again. Like let's go out and get somebody who actually is going to be good. Like let's make a Dante Fowler type of signing last year as opposed to waiting to this year. So, right. you know, I think that could have mitigated some of these issues. Um, yeah. But obviously, we can't change the past. No, and last comment on I'll make for the Falcons and pass rushers. It seems like they either uh, move on too quickly, as they did with John Abraham when they sent him packing probably a couple years too soon, um, or they hang on way too long like they did with Vic Beasley. And maybe, you know, in in fairness, maybe with TAC, with them not doing the fifth-year option, maybe they're trying to find the the middle ground there. But, uh, yeah, I – I wish him all the best. Um, I, I think any kid in their mid twenties, uh, you know, later twenties, uh, it, it's it's hard to know exactly what you want to do with life. I, I have friends who are in their forties who are still trying to answer that question. So I wish him the best. I hope he has a, a good run in Tennessee. But um, yep, I, I, we're going to close the book on our talks about Vic Beasley. But I felt like we had to talk, you know, just touch on it because of the fact that um, <laughs> the comp formula was at risk. Um, all right. Number one takeaway through the first several days of training camp in this uh, weird, weird, weird season. Obviously, uh, very few reporters can be there at camp, so we're having to rely on reports from guys like uh, Jason Butt um, and Vaughn McClure. Uh, but what is the number one takeaway from each of you guys for training camp so far? Aaron, I'll go to you first. Well, the thing I've been talking about mostly on Lockdown Falcons, which you can, you know, it's part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, um, is that the guard competition seems to be going in Matt Hennessy's direction, right? Mm-hmm. We've already kind of touched upon it. And, you know, that, that to me was the big position battle. You know, the, cor- the starting cornerback position is up for grabs, but honestly, you know, my take on based off of, Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver's performance in 2019. It's like, yeah, doesn't really matter who starts. Like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 Darquez Denard and AJ Terrell show, and you know, whoever is the third guy, fine, great, awesome. Um, but the the left guard battle, I think, has been one of the interesting things, and it, it seems like Matt Hennessy has steadily continued and and progressed to to continue to get most of the first team snaps. We saw Matt Dono get those reps earlier in camp. James Carpenter has continued to also get snaps, but it does seem like 
you know, the Falcons are thumbs are on the scale, not to suggest that maybe Matt Hennessy isn't deserving of the honor, but it seems clearly that the Falcons want Hennessy to be the starter. Just like last summer, they clearly wanted Chris Lindstrom to be the starter at right guard. And, you know, I think it was day one or day two of training camp. He was the starter and, and never looked back. And so, you know, I don't think they're willing to go that far with Hennessy quite yet in terms of just like giving him the job and saying like, yeah, he's won it through the off season. But it's very clear that, you know, I, I think probably within a week or so, if not a few days, they will probably name Matt Hennessy as the team's starting left guard for this upcoming mm-hmm. season, which I did not expect to, to happen coming out of the draft. Um, you know, I'm, I'm team Matt Gano, uh, you know, for life. But, um, you know, <laughs> if, if Hennessy wins a job and winds up playing well, then, then so be it. I'm not complaining, you know. But uh, that, that's been sort of the main thing that I've been focused on. Matt, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think what Aaron just talked about is definitely the number one kind of storyline or number one surprise uh, of training camp. But I'll take it in a slightly different direction and just talk about the rookies as a whole. I've, I've been pretty impressed um, with, you know, how quickly I think um, this draft class has seemed to adapt and seem to have found a lot, you know, most of them have found their way into the first team reps. Um, you know, for those that follow me closely on Twitter, they they saw in the offseason, I, I wasn't a fan of many moves that the Falcons made this offseason, but one of the things I did come away impressed with was their draft class. I thought, you know, for the most part, at least their first four picks, I thought they found pretty great values at each spot. And, you know, A.J. Terrell, uh, a lot of people are quiet now on Twitter about A.J. Terrell, and he's he's showing the makings of a future cornerback one you know, going toe-to-toe with Calvin Ridley um, on that first day. And, and you know, what, what was the takeaway from that play when he made that that jumping interception that kind of went viral on Twitter was just, you know, one of the notes that I wrote down of, of Terrell's college film was his lack of, of making plays on those 50-50 balls. And to see him go up and high point a ball like that against Ridley, um, I, I thought was impressive. So, again, um, he – Definitely looks like the part and looks like he's going to be the Falcons, you know, starting left cornerback to replace Desmond Trufant. So that's very encouraging. I mean, again, fans got to understand he's going to take his lumps along the way, but, you know, so did some of the other rookies last year. And I, you know, I think that's just part of the process, but uh, the team's going to be better in the long run because of it. So, you know, that's certainly impressing. Um, You know, Aaron talked about Matt Hennessy um, likely being the left guard. I I do want to circle back to that and talk a little bit more about that uh, in a minute, but um you know, I, I want to bring up Michael Walker here. I was a huge fan of that Michael Walker pick, a guy I kind of identified in the process early on. Didn't know if the Falcons would find him because, again, he was kind of one of those diamond in the roughs. No one really talked about him in the pre-draft process. But, um, you know, as a rookie, you got to make plays early on in camp. And that's a lot of what the reporters are saying right now that Michael Walker's doing. He's had a few interceptions, tip, tip balls. Um, and now he's found his way playing alongside – uh, Deion Jones and, and Foye Olakun with the first team linebacker crew, which again, I, I was high on Michael Walker, but I thought, you know, they, with this reduced off season and, you know, not as many padded practices, no preseason games. I, I thought that he was going to have more of a, a slow burn to, to make his way up with the starters. And now that doesn't seem to be the case. So, you know, the fact that three of their four, first four picks are looking to be starters and, you know, you throw in the the punter in the seventh round, he's likely going to be the starter. Um, 
the draft class is shaping up better than, you know, I would have even given it credit for after, you know, the weekend in April. So that's kind of been my biggest takeaway. And, and it's, and it's a good sign for the future that, that these guys, you know, are at least they're shown out in practice. And again, it's, it's one thing to show out in practice and different show up on, on Sundays, but again, it looks like we're going to see them early on and, and they're going to, um, you know, get their reps and again, be better for the long run. So that's my, you know, biggest takeaway, but, Again, I, I do want to talk about this Hennessy thing because, oh, again, will. not to agree to with Aaron again, but, um, you know, I just think there's more value uh, for the team long term for him to be the center. And by him being the left guard, you know, it's two completely different positions. People think, oh, well, yeah, sure, he's, he's right next to the center and all that. And, you know, he's going to be right in Alex Maxey here and he's still going to learn from him. But, Again, it, you're looking at completely one different thing being at left guard than you are at center, calling the protections, all that. I, I just don't know what the plan would be long term because, again, I've been I've been kind of speculating for the last couple of weeks, given what I know about the 2021 salary cap, what it's potentially going to look like. I don't. I see the odds of Alex Mack returning, whether he even wants to play, in like the five to ten percent range. So I think this is going to be Alex Mack's last season at center. And the whole point of this Hennessy selection being a home run, in my opinion, was just for him to sit back and learn behind one of the game's all-time best at center and then take over in 2021 at one of the most important positions on the offensive line and be the center of the future. And now, I mean, if he's the left guard, you know, they're they're not going to – they're not going to bump him, whether he goes through struggles or not. He's If he wins the job, he's going to be the left guard. Assuming he's fully healthy, he's going to be the left guard for the entire season. You know, what do you do in 2021? Do you, do you bump him back and then you he has to kind of restart his developmental clock at center? And then you have to find, you know, uh, a new left guard. And that's why, you know, I'm also with Aaron as far as Team Gano. I, thought, I think it makes complete sense that Matt Gano be the starting left guard, mm-hmm. cost-controlled player, you know, you can give him the restricted free agent tag next year, which is, you know, three or four million. That's that's pretty uh, standard for starting offensive lineman in, in the National Football League. And then, you know, you could potentially get, get him, you know, as an extension, a decent extension for a guy that doesn't have a lot of films. He, he doesn't have a lot of leverage in the negotiating room. You can have Jake Matthews, Matt Gano, Matt Hennessy, Chris Lindstrom, and Caleb McGarry as your starting offensive line for potentially the next three to four years if Matt Gano was, you know, given the keys to that left guard spot and assuming he's at least a average level starter, which again, it's fine if your fifth guy is an average level starter. I I think, you know, sure we've dealt with offensive line struggles the last several years, but you know, it's very hard to get five elite level offensive linemen. You're going to have one guy that's just, you know, a competent level, baseline level starter and, and that that would be fine if that's what Matt Gano was and I think he, he showed he has potential to be a little bit more than that so again it just all goes back a little bit you know to the Jamon Brown conversation I don't know if this coaching staff knows how to evaluate offensive line play and until they get a new group in there we're going to deal with I think some of the same struggles that we've dealt with the last couple of years at offensive line yep um, so Aaron before we go to you for your Matt Hennessy take and whether or not this is uh, another Peter Kahn's uh, revisited situation. Uh, Ooh, that's going to hurt. 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Too we'll be soon. right back. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by Aaron Freeman and Matt Caroli. We are talking about the Falcons' first several days in training camp. Uh, before we went to break, uh, Matt was talking about, opened up the conversation about Matt Hennessy and the fact that he is not just competing at the left guard spot. Right now it looks like he is uh, lining up to be the starter there potentially. Um, so, Aaron, I know you've got also a pretty strong opinion about this. Uh, I, I do want to say, as for me, I am also Team Matt Gono. Uh, I was Team Matt Gono last year uh, when uh, other guys were stinking it up and thought, you know, maybe we should give someone else a shot. Anyhow, what is your take on Hennessy, uh, the long-term uh, look of the Falcons offensive line where center is concerned, that whole uh, hullabaloo? Well, I think what Matt said is pretty spot on with sort of the upside is there for – Gano being the left guard and if he winds up being successful in that role and you know Hennessy's the long-term asset at center and you have your long-term asset at right guard and Lindstrom and then you know you probably got another three maybe four prime years of Jake Matthews at left tackle and hopefully you know Caleb and Gary can put it together because you know he'll he'll get right out of town just as quickly as uh, Vic Beasley, uh, if he if he does not perform this year, Falcon fans have long memories. So some tweets that he had in the off season. So I, I hope for his sake that he he steps it up this year. Um, so you're, you're looking at what Matt said, where you know the potential is there that you can go out there and and find options for you know all five of your starters for the next several years, and won't have to use an early round pick, and that can be devoted to addressing other holes on your roster in the future. You don't have to use free agent dollars and, you know, getting a quality starting guard in free agency. You know, Matt already talked about Roger Saffold. Like that's the going rate. That was $11 million. That's, that's the going rate for any decent starting guard in yep. today's NFL. And, you know, a lot of times you're not even getting a guy as good as Roger Saffold has been at that price tag. So that's money that you can now spend elsewhere to shore up other spots in your roster. So, you know, it, it clearly is in the best interest of the team, I think, for Matt Gano to be the starting left guard and to sort of just have Hennessy redshirt this upcoming season. But in the Falcons, you know, the play dev devil's advocate, because we haven't been we've been agreeing too much on today's episode. <laughs> um, the question is. You know, Gano did get some starting reps early in camp. Maybe he didn't perform well. Like, the problem is, of course, normally we would have the preseason and we could all sit there and say, well, you know, right. Matt Gano did this in the game against, you know, whoever we're playing, the Jets or the Redskins or whoever this summer, always the Jaguars. And <laughs> we can measure that against what Matt Hennessy did in those preseason games. And we can sit there and say, like, oh, yeah, like, Matt Hennessy is better than Matt Gano. And he deserves to be the starter. Or we could sit there and say, well, you know, I think Matt Gano really did the best or James Carpenter or Jamon Brown or whoever, right? So we have that ability as outsiders to judge. We don't have that luxury this summer because right. of the way the camp is set up and there's no preseason and there's only a few eyes in camp 
uh, with reporters and whatnot. And no offense to the Jason Butts and the Vaughn McClure's of the world, but I don't necessarily know if we can necessarily trust their word on what they're observing um, in camp as well. So now you're stuck in a place as a Falcon fan sitting on the outside, like the rest of us Mm. wondering you have to put your faith in this coaching staff's ability to properly evaluate offensive (laughs) linemen. And as we joked several times already on today's episode, (laughs) it's not the most illustrious history of being right on those uh, evaluations. So you have to have a certain level of faith. And, you know, this is the time of the year where people tend to be a little bit more faithful than they are at other points in time of year. So hopefully we will, you know, get, a few weeks from now and get into the games going up against, you know, the Jerron Jerron Reed in week one, Don Terry Poe in week two, you know, Akeem Hicks in week three, Kenny Clark in week four, uh, Kawan Short in week five, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's, it's not going to be easy on whoever is that starting guard. So hopefully they will be battle tested early in the season. So we will kind of know pretty early whether or not, whether it's Matt Hennessy, whether it's James Carpenter, whether it's Matt Gano, whoever, all those guys are going to get tested pretty early in the season and we'll, we'll have our answer, you know, in the next you know month or so. But until now, we just kind of have to sit here and be confident that the Falcons coaching staff who hasn't done much to imbue us with confidence in part to, to signing guys like James Carpenter, Jamon Brown <laughs> and drafting players like Peter Kahn's um, is, is going to make the right call here. And that's where I think some of the misgivings certainly that I have as the king of, people questioning the, the Falcons organization, um, you know, sitting here today, it's, it's just kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll see how it turns out, but it's hard for me to be overly optimistic given their history. And I think the one, the one thing just to jump in for another sec, uh, you know, that I thought about Ghana and why, you know, they've kind of had him at tackle. And I just, you look at the depth at tackle if Jake Matthews or Caleb McGarry were to go down, you know, I'm one of John Wetzel's biggest supporters on Falcons Twitter, but I don't, really want to see him have to play if god forbid you know he had to step in at one of the tackle spots and i'd rather see gano there so you know maybe it's just a matter of well hey they they noticed they have a few other options at at the left guard battle that they can kind of sift through with carpenter and hennessy and you know even mccray wouldn't it wouldn't be the worst thing if mccray got some time i, I think he's been an underrated signing this off season as a swing guy but you know, there's not much after Matthews and McGarry at tackle and Gano was drafted to, to be a tackle. Uh, he has, you know, kind of the physical attributes, um, as far as length and all that goes, uh, to be a tackle. So, I mean, maybe that's just part of their thinking, but, uh, you know, I still would prefer him to be the left guard, but I do also see why he's gotten the bulk of his reps this off season at tackle. Cause again, they do need to have a swing tackle, ready for 2020 and to be fair Quinn did say recently he was not sure where right he wanted to put Gono like he, he's I, I think they're even still debating it internally you know whether he needs to be in that left guard competition or to your point is he is the team better served by him being their swing tackle uh, I think there was some early buzz with um, Evan Caesar check. I may have just massacred the name, but uh, <laughs> the undrafted uh, offensive tackle. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe he is not working out the way that, you know, some of the early buzz had indicated. And yeah, swing tackle is actually a really important position. I mean, uh, let's just go out and get a uh, Ty Sombrero again. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, there's obviously still time for this, to, to play out. 
uh, not a ton of time because we're actually much closer to the season than I think people realize. Um, but there is time for this to work out, you know, but I'm with you guys. I, I wanted to see Gono at, at, at the, the guard position. Um, it reminds me in many ways of uh, when the Falcons found Ryan Schrader. When you find uh, a player yeah. at an important position, like you said, Aaron, it opens up now instead of you having to spend a high draft pick, you know, for a second round on a position that you're going to pay 10 plus million for in free agency. Um, you, you have a little bit more flexibility. You have a little bit more flexibility in free agency. You have a little bit more flexibility in the draft when you get one of these undrafted guys that suddenly can become a starter that you can plug in. And they don't even have to be the best starter. Sometimes they just have to be competent, um, you know, to be uh, a little bit better than a James Carpenter, a little bit better than a Wes Schweitzer was. Uh, you mean like James Stone? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, we had a James Stowe reference. Oh, you knew it was coming. You knew uh, it was coming. Yeah. And I mentioned Peter Kahn's earlier, and I, I brought that up because, you know, I, I think some people forget, but his first year with the Falcons, they slotted him in at one of the guard. I think it was right guard for him. Um, and he, he played most of the season playing at right guard. I think the two situations are different. I think Kahn's struggles were mainly because he was not good, period. Um <laughs> And had nothing to do with whether or not he played guard or center. He's just – he was bad. <laughs> not mincing any words. I like it. I like right. it. But uh, it did – It seeing what's happening with Hennessy, it made me think back to that. And it's like, do we really want to go back to playing guys in a different position than what we really intended to draft them for? Uh, and it, are there better fits for that? So I, I think – uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, put Matt Gona there. Um, let's see how that plays out, and then worry about offensive tackle as a as a separate um, uh, sort of position. All right, I want to talk about some of the names that are standing out in camp. We've talked about a few, um, and this is for better or worse. Like you know, it, it could be for bad reasons too, but we've seen some names popping up a little bit more frequently than others. Um, and I just want to get each of your thoughts on some of these names. Um, Michael Walker and, and Matt, I know you, you said a little bit about him earlier. He is seeing a lot of reps with the first team. He is a player that, you know, obviously uh, is a, a little bit further down in the, the picks for the Falcons. You know, he wasn't expected to come in and necessarily be someone that would compete for a starting position. Uh, so, you know, real quick, what's your take on Michael Walker and your hopes for him? Is this to me or Aaron? That's no, you, Matt. Yeah, I'm just, like I said earlier, I'm very pleased with where he's at in his development. Uh, I think we can legitimately see him be one of the starting linebackers in week one, assuming, you know, and, and there's some um, questioning whether they're going to be a 4-3 base team again or, or go back to that 5-2 setup, but I think they're going to still have multiple looks. So, you know, if when they're running that 4-3, you know, we can see Michael Walker on that field, that, that Sam linebacker, um, as early as week one, I think. So, I mean, for me, that's, that's, it makes my heart happy just because I, I didn't think with this type of off season, I didn't think we were going to get that from some of these younger players. Um, so to see he's making plays, getting time with the ones, I, I think that's great. And is only going to mean uh, great things for the future with, with him in Atlanta. Um, Aaron, where, where Michael Walker's concerned, do you think this is more about him standing out or the fact that the Falcons sort of have some major gaps in the linebacker depth, or do you think maybe it's a mix of the two? 
I think it's a mix of the two. I, I think, you know, Walker clearly, you know, when you're looking at this roster and you're looking at guys that can play that strong side linebacker spot, which we're assuming that he's going to play, uh, particularly in the base defense, as Matt said, in their four, three fronts, you know, I think he clearly stands out because like it's either him or Dante Fowler, who we know the team wants to rush the quarterback. So him playing linebacker, it's fine, but that means he's going to drop in the coverage and that means he's not rushing the quarterback. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's their go-to plan as far as that goes. And then beyond that, it's like Edmund Robinson, who had a good year in the XFL, but like, <laughs> is that the guy that you want starting on your, you know? So I think it's not as if like, you know, the Falcons brought a who's who of, of high level competition. Cause you know, Dion Buchanan, while a legit NFL or a legit NFL caliber player was going to say starter, but I know Arizona Cardinals fans would definitely question that. Um <laughs> you know, he's not really a good fit for that role, you know? Right. So he's more of a backup to Deion Jones, a backup to Defoya Olakun and whatnot. So I feel like Walker certainly has the skill set to stand out. So it's not to take anything away from the things that he's done. And we, we've heard him, you know, about him making several plays on the field. So it's not to sit here and, and be like, he uh, is, isn't deserving of the praise, but it is one of those things where it's like, what are the other real options, you know? Right. Like if, if we came out of camp and like, man, Edmund Robinson has picked off Matt Schaub six times already in, in training camp. <laughs> I don't know if we would be sitting there talking about how great Edmund Robinson was. We'd be like, what's going on with Matt Schaub? You know, he's usually a superstar in, in camp and whatnot. But, uh, you know, so I, I think it's, it's a little bit of both with Walker. I do yeah. just to add one other point. I do think they're going to use more of that five, two setup though, which that's yeah, why so Walker won't see a ton of snaps. Just right. To be clear. Yeah. yeah. In that setup, it would just be, Deion Jones and Foye Olakun, which again was why I was like, well, you know, again, they don't need Michael Walker to play, yeah. but if he continues to show out, I think he's going to force their hand to see some time on the field. And whether that's, I don't know, you know, mixing in between him and Foye, I, I doubt it, but who knows? I, I don't know how, you know, we're not there and we're just here a couple plays here and there that he's made, but yeah. um, you know, the more, plays you make the more again you force the coaching staff's hands to to do something about it and put them on the field but again if they're going to use that 5-2 setup more you know to Aaron's point he's not the linebacker depth isn't as much of an issue where it's that's the reason he's seeing playing time because again if you only need two players two, two traditional linebackers on the field Walker can be one of the backups you know LaVoy Reynolds is going to be the other backup because of special teams and then you know the question becomes you know I guess the um, Buchanan would be the fifth guy just based on uh, his resume and track record. Um, but who knows? We haven't heard of Ray Wilborn, but he, he would be that undrafted guy that, that could potentially compete. And then obviously we talked about Edna Robinson, but again, if they only need two traditional linebackers, you know, Walker wouldn't need to see the field. Um, yeah. I mean, realistically, like you guys said, you know, between nickel dime sets and then whether they really run three linebackers out there much, you know, his peak will probably be 25, maybe 30% uh, of yeah. the total snaps. Um, so he'll be listed probably as a starter on paper, but effectively be in sort of a, a, a mid-tier role where he's, you know, he's not playing uh, the same number of snaps as Deion Jones. He'll, he'll, he'll be listed next to. So, um, but I, I'm with you guys. You know, it, it's good to see uh, that he is going to get the opportunity. Um, I think there is, there's some gaps in that particular uh, position for the Falcons. So, um, you know, hopefully he'll live up to that. Uh, next name. And obviously 
God help us if he doesn't show up in camp in some way or another. First round pick, A.J. Terrell. Um, I feel like, you know, if I go back uh, several years when uh, Trufant and Alford were drafted, um, there was this uh, sort of belief that at the time, because these two rookies were getting to go in camp against, uh, at the time, a very healthy uh, and still productive Roddy White and um, Julio Jones. And it was, you know, quote unquote, trial by fire. So they were getting to compete against two very, very good wide receivers in practice every single day. And we sort of have the equivalent of that again um, with Muhammad. Oh, I mean, um, uh, Julio Jones (laughs) and (laughs) Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Now, uh, getting to sort of uh, take uh, guys like AJ Terrell uh, to school during camp. Uh, so early returns seem to be pretty positive. Aaron, what do you think? Do you think it's just, again, a little bit of hype or do you think that Terrell does have the capacity to be a decent rookie corner starter for the Falcons this year? I, I think it's, it's the latter. Um, you know, there's always a, a degree of hype, but I think with AJ Terrell, of all the things to hype up about the Falcons this offseason, he's probably the thing, you know, that is most deserving of their offseason additions beyond maybe Dante Fowler, I guess. Um, you know, I, not to disparage Todd Gurley and Hayden Hurst, but like, you know, I, I think that's a separate conversation. Right. Um, <laughs> I think with AJ Terrell, like, he has a legit chance. Like, we've seen. Is cornerback coach, new cornerback coach Joe Witt Jr. He's had success with rookie corners. Jair Alexander recently in Cleveland. I mean, in, in Green Bay. Greedy Williams last year in Cleveland. Uh, there was another guy in Green Bay that I'm blanking on from earlier in his was maybe Devon House or something like that. Um, so Joe Witt Jr. has a history of getting young corners to play well early on in the career. Now, it's not a slam dunk. You know, the Packers have had some first-round picks, early-round picks that didn't necessarily come in and light the world on fire recently, like Kevin King and Josh Jackson under Joe Witt Jr. But I think A.J. Terrell is closer on the scale of to J- Jair Alexander than he is t- as to those other guys as prospects. So I think there's reason to be optimistic that the things that A.J. Terrell is doing in camp is legitimate and that he does have that sort of Desmond Trufant-level you know, CB1 type of potential. And, you know, the early returns on and the buzz seems to indicate that he's at least, at the very least, flashing that in camp going up against guys like Julio and, and Calvin Ridley. So I think there's reason for people to be optimistic. So, you know, I, I'm typically a guy that's anti-hype, um, you know, but I think in the case of A.J. Terrell, it's legitimate. Yeah. Uh, Matt, your, your thoughts on the first round pick? Yeah, I, I agree um, with Aaron. I mean, I think the hype is warranted. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the negatives that I saw on his college tape was, you know, the lack of an ability going for the 50-50 balls. He checked that one off with, with that one rep. And one of the other notes was some of the stuff on the comeback routes as far as, you know, turning over the hips, kind of staying in that receiver's hip pocket. That was another thing I saw where he gave up quite a bit of separation in college. There was another uh, video that was posted. I think PFF posted this one, um, or at least they retweeted it, showing you know him going up against Ridley on a comeback route. And although Ridley did create you know a little bit of separation, it wasn't much. And again, I think a lot of that just has to be chalked up to Ridley being an elite route runner. You know, 
what I saw from Terrell on that play, he defended about as well as he could. So again, I, there's, there's not a lot to dislike about AJ Terrell as a cornerback. I know folks had issues with the pick just because Terrell wasn't a guy that was mocked to the Falcons. And I think that's one of the things, like I enjoy mock drafts and Aaron likes to, you know, put the kibosh on my enjoyment with mock drafts during mock draft season. But I think the one thing that I will say negatively about mock drafts is the fact that if a certain player isn't picked, isn't mocked to that team throughout the whole mock draft season, and then they eventually select that player, it just throws fan bases into a tizzy. Like they don't know what to do with themselves because they weren't prepared for that type of pick. And I think that's what happened with AJ Terrell. And and the thing people got to remember about the cornerback class is outside of Jeff Okuda and I'd say CJ Henderson, there was kind of, there was no unanimous cornerback three in the class. You, You saw all sorts of names being mocked as the third cornerback taken off the board. And I think the thing that AJ Terrell, you know, the on field stuff, he, he had pretty much, everything else that those other cornerbacks had. I think people, you know, one, they remembered that national championship game and they yep. saw him, you know, they saw one of the best receivers in the nation have a couple catches against them, even though Terrell was in great position on most of those plays. They saw that and they wrote him off. And then two, the thing that Terrell had over those guys, which I think ultimately led him to be selected by Atlanta was the off the field stuff. I think a lot of those other cornerbacks that people might've wanted and, and some of those guys, you know, I, I wanted as, as, as the choice, you know, guys like uh, Christian Fulton, Jeff Gladney, they had some off the field stuff, Trayvon Diggs too. And I don't think the Falcons wanted to take a chance with another Jalen Collins. It, yep. You know, there's the name that, that really bit them in the ass uh, these last couple seasons that, you know, with cornerback depth and the future at the cornerback position. And so, you know, why take it, take a chance on that when you can find a player with similar physical attributes, similar, you know, talent, but he doesn't have any of those issues. And I think that's what ultimately led the Falcons to AJ Terrell. And again, I, I think he's definitely going to be that starting cornerback at left corner to replace Desmond Trufant. And again, you're going to have to take some growing pains. He's going to get beat, but every corner does. And again, it's only going to serve him better in the long run. And I think he has a legitimate chance to be what his comp, you know, kind of is, which is Darius Slay. I, I do believe that he has a chance to be a Darius Slay type cornerback who, Darius Slay at his peak was one of the better cornerbacks in football. So again, you know, I was never against this pick. I, I I saw it being possible. It it wasn't the one I wanted, but again, he's definitely showing why he was made the 16th overall pick. And again, I don't, we, we can, uh, you know, slander Thomas Dimitrov for a lot of things, but you look at his first round uh, draft pick, uh, resume other than Parade Jerry, I mean he's he's been pretty rock solid with those first round picks, and I, I don't think AJ Terrell is going to be any different. I hope so, and uh, you know certainly uh, when we moved on from True Font, which I I still feel like maybe was a year too soon. Uh, it's you know you're going to get young at the position at some point, and I, I truly do hope he he turns out to be a, a good uh, viable replacement for for True Font. So. Last question uh, before we close out this podcast. And I, I, honestly, I could talk with you guys all night about everything. I feel like we've only touched on just a few things uh, as it is, but um, the free agents. Um, and this is going to be a little bit of projection, uh, thinking about each of these names. But of these names, Todd Gurley, Dante Fowler, uh, Darquez Denard, which guy do you think will end up being the best value 
for the Falcons in 2020. So Matt, I'll go to you first and let Aaron close us out on that question. I thought about going in a different direction, but the moment you said value, I think it's very easily dark West Denard. I mean, the fact that, and again, it hasn't been officially reported yet, but based on over the cap and then spot track later followed them. Falcons got him for vet men. And I didn't think in my wildest dreams that was possible. A guy that I was pounding the table for thought made a lot of sense to be their starting nickel corner. Didn't think they had any shot in hell to get him at vet men. The fact that they looks like they did. I think that's easily when it's all said and done going to be the, the best value. I think, Denard is going to be the starting slot corner. I mean, we've already seen in camp some of the plays he's made going up against, you know, Russell Gage. Um, I think he's going to be uh, every bit as advertised. At least I'm hoping that um, because I have certainly hyped him up quite a bit. Uh, So I'd go with Darkwest Denard. My second choice, though, you know, if if I had to pick one, I think Dante Fowler, while I I wasn't – I'm not – thrilled with the value especially the way they structured the deal being that it's heavily backloaded mm-hmm. I do think you know he has a chance to be this year's Zadarius Smith and when I say that I mean you know pass rusher that kind of first couple years you know toiled in you know and on uh being an anonymous player kind of you know not not a lot of fanfare behind him um but <clears throat> I, I think he has a shot uh, to break out. I mean, some of the stuff with the videos that I've seen as far as, you know, him developing pass rush moves, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air to see a pass rusher <laughs> showcase a move or talk about what he's doing to set up his opponent and seeing Tack McKinley kind of feed off of that and kind of take notes on that. I think that's going to go a long ways for him and, and those two being, being a quality duo. I, I think he does have, I think they both do. Um, 10, 10 plus sacks in them. Uh, I'm not going to go on and predict that they'll, they'll both get it, but I, I think Dante Fowler can prove um, that last season wasn't a one-hit wonder. Yeah, Aaron, do you have other thoughts on that? Um, look, I, I'll answer it just to give something different. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of my value, like I would value it differently because I see the world in unique and special ways. Yes, you do. But um, I think. I'll take, I'll answer the question from this standpoint. I think the way that it will be perceived by the fan base at large, I think Todd Gurley will be considered the better value Hmm. because interesting. I think the way that, you know, no offense to you fans and all the people listening out here, I have a (laughs) reputation for insulting people and talking down to people, but like the way that people perceive corners is how many picks you get. And dark West Denard is not necessarily known for making a ton of interceptions. So even though, He's very cheap, and he'll probably be one of the better nickel cornerbacks in the league, as he has been in the last several years in Cincinnati for a veteran minimum con- contract. You know, the fact that he's not going to make that many plays as people see it, I don't think your average fan is going to see his value to the degree that others will. Dante Fowler, because the expectations are that, you know, he's going to be the new John Abraham, or at least be an upgrade over Vic Beasley, there are expectations that Dante Fowler – is going to have to have a double-digit sack season or he's going to be a disappointment to a lot of people. Um, And while I think him getting a double-digit sack season is definitely a possibility this upcoming season, if I was to actually 
you know, put my hard earned money on it, I'd probably say he's probably going to get like eight sacks, which I think to a lot of fans will be considered an improvement relative to the fact of the disappointment of Vic Beasley. But, you know, Vic Beasley, I think, had eight sacks last year. So to a lot of fans, they will be like, why did we pay all this money? They only get the same exact production we got of Vic Beasley, which is its own thing. But <laughs> again, I don't agree with that, but I think that's going to be the perception. So I think sure. really when you're looking at it, Todd Gurley, because he's going to legitimately be an upgrade over Devontae Freeman and probably have a much more successful season, and I think certainly has a chance to get 1,000 yards. Again, I'm not necessarily projecting him. I think he'll probably finish somewhere in that 900-yard range or whatever the case may be. But um, because of the value he also adds in the passing game, and he, he actually might score touchdowns uh, this upcoming season uh, because, you know, Dirk Cutter's saying he's going to run the football. So we'll see. Um, I think, you know, I think the perception is going to be that Todd Gurley, given that he's signed a one-year $5 million contract, if he winds up having, you know, 1,300, 1,500 yard, total yards or whatever that, that number is, um, I think the common perception is going to be that he was the steal because there isn't necessarily the expectations going on him that I think the other players are going to be having to sort of fight against. Um, so I think to your average fan, Todd Gurley will be considered the value of this trio, although I would argue that certain ways Denard or, or as Matt argued, Fowler would be considered better values uh, depending on your perspective. Yeah, and I, I think that's more than fair. Uh, and to your point, Fowler, I think, has a really high bar that people are expecting him to clear, uh, especially with the money. Uh, and, you know, it, the problem with a really good corner is when they do their job, you don't see them do their job. Like you don't see the ball go their direction. Like when Trufant had his best seasons, quarterbacks just simply weren't even throwing hit in his direction. He was one of the least targeted corners in the league. And as you mentioned, Aaron, a lot of times people are putting the emphasis on interceptions. Well, when you have a corner that's taking away half of the field, in some ways they're doing even more of, of the job than uh, the guys that are just you know making picks. But um, I like it. Uh, th- that's why I have you guys on uh, some unique takes, some unique voices. And with that, I want you guys to let our listeners know where they can find you. Aaron, pitch the hell out of your podcast, as I know you will. <laughs> um, and where they can find you, what you've got going on. Aaron, I'll go to you first. Well, you know, if you enjoy Falcon podcasts that happen five days a week, unlike one <laughs> that happens once every five months, <laughs> and seems hey. to be focused on coronavirus. What a guess. Oh, what a my guess. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> All-time best guest ever, Aaron Freeman. <laughs> uh, I only say it because I know DW knows I'm kidding. Yeah. But uh, oh, if, if you enjoy daily podcasts about the Falcons and, 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 and enjoyed this insight that Matt and I provided on today's episode, you won't get it from Matt, but you'll get me on Lockdown Falcons on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the same ones that DW and the, and the Falcoholic podcast. Unfortunately, it is the official podcast of uh, the Falcoholic. But uh, yeah, you can check me out at Lockdown Falcons and of course on Twitter at Falcons. Excellent. Matt, tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt Carley, K-A-R-O-L-Y. Uh, and you can catch some of my written work, still writing every now and then at riseupreader.com. I've been promoting it a little bit, but eventually I will write about the 2021 cap situation just as more information kind of trickles in um you know again 
we're in uncertain times. We've got to take it day by day. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea what the cap's going to be next year. We know at the lowest it'll be $175 million. And if that's the case, then the Falcons are in a bit of a bind. But um, you know, I've already looked at it a little bit. There's ways they can get out of it and kind of be somewhat above water. So uh, eventually be on the lookout for that at riseupreader.com. Looking forward to the Falcons cutting Matt Ryan uh, article that we will follow <laughs> that up. Uh, <laughs> uh, clearly, I'm kidding. Uh, we all know that uh, they have to bring back uh, Gatlin down first. Um, anyhow, uh, Aaron is shaking his head. He loves it. <laughs> all right, guys. As for me, you can find me on the Twitters at SalkaholicBW, uh, our podcast at SalkaholicPod, and, of course, all of our articles uh, daily at TheFalcoholic.com. So for Aaron Freeman and Matt Crowley, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. Talk with you next time.